0: Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. She ripped the original handwritten poem out of my hand, ripped it to shreds like confetti, and then threw me out of her house. True story. Why? Well, because I created a very elaborate, efficient, effective, emotionally connecting word picture. Yep, the word picture got me thrown out of her house. The same thing can happen to you if you're a communicator who relies on word pictures. And that's what I want to talk about in this episode of Leading Leaders, the Story Power Series. Stay tuned. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast, and I had written a poem that told a story of a relationship that I have. And in that series of relationship, I mean, I can tell you the real story, and I have a redheaded stepchild. Literally. Well, I think today she's blonde, but it changes. But she was born a redhead. She was a redhead when I met her. She's naturally a redhead through and through. And when we met, we had a very unique experience because a buddy and I, a girl named Betty, we were on a church visitation team, and we would go visit people who had come to visit our church. And we went out to visit a new visitor. When we walked in the front door, Betty and the homeowner, the visitor, the lady, sat down on the couch together. And I sat down in this old chair It was like a bear trap because once I sat down in it, I collapsed all the way through. My elbows were up above my head. I couldn't even hardly get out of the chair. And while I was sitting in that chair, I hear this scream like a wildcat from the other room. And then out of nowhere comes this little four-year-old dripping wet, straight out of the bathtub, redhead, who leaps across the room and into my lap. And I'm like, ah, ah, what do I do? I couldn't get away. That was our first encounter. And my heart skipped a beat. I had no idea how to react. Well, mom and I became an item. And while mom was at work one day, since I was self-employed, this little girl and I, my little redheaded stepchild, we decided it was time for her to learn to ride a bicycle. And we spent the entire day with crashes and falls and scrapes and bumps and bruises. And when mom came home, I was sure this was gonna be the end of our relationship. Her little girl looked like a little boy, all scratched up and scarred up, but she had learned to ride a bicycle and was having a good time. Well, I thought she was. And when mom got home, my my heart skipped a beat. The same when she learned how to swim. And I still have scars on my shoulder and on my neck because it was like trying to put a cat in the bathtub. Trying to get her to let loose in the wading pool. And when we got the call that she had dropped from a heart attack at 17 and they were flying her to the hospital to do heart work on our 17-year-old, my heart skipped a beat again. And then when she had her first child, when she got married. And life has continued to give us those heart-stopping moments because that's what happens when you have kids. And so the entire poem was called My Heart Skipped a Beat. And the entire poem was just about the relationship between me and my redheaded stepchild. But when I read the poem in our small group, the host, the homeowner, snatched the poem out of my hand, ripped the original to shreds, and threw me out of her house. It was a couple of months later before I got a call from her when she said, I just want you to understand why I threw you out. I said, well, that, that would be nice to know because I didn't feel like I did anything wrong or offensive. She said, you painted too good a picture in your poem. I said, I, I don't understand. And she grabbed her hair and she said, I. I'm a redheaded stepchild, but I was the five-year-old redheaded stepchild in the bathtub being abused. And that recollection of the redheaded stepchild dripping wet from the bathtub didn't take me to the place of a new relationship and a new encounter that was joyful. It terrified me for her. I'm like, no, 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 we don't have any kind of relationship like that. Not even remotely close, ever. And she said, well, I get that now, but I couldn't stop the way my heart felt. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. That event was, wow, over 10 years ago. But it was a massive, massive learning lesson for me as a communicator, as a communications coach. It's incredibly easy to see the world only through the eyeballs in your own head. It's very easy as a communicator to tell stories that resonate with you, that feel good to you, that take you back to a happy place. Just remember that it's not always a happy place for everybody. And if you're not careful, you paint a picture so vivid, so terrifyingly true for someone else. They can see it in their mind, but they don't feel about that moment the way you feel about that moment. I was listening to Bill Burr as a comedian the other day, and he said, I pulled out a 38 because I was working on a man's yard, and he had a 38 and it was a five-shot. And he said, hey, let's go fire some rounds. And I fired five rounds without any hearing protection on. And then he stopped, and he looked at the audience. He's like, where am I? Most people laugh right there. That's the punchline, that, that you fired five shots from a gun for no reason. He said, the guy just said to me, let's go down the street. There's a burned-out car. Let's go put some holes in it. And again, the audience didn't move. And he's like, I- Where am I? Why is it you people don't think it's odd or weird or abnormal that I'm mowing the yard and the guy comes out with a loaded gun and says, hey, let's go pop off a few rounds. It's all about the audience, right? It's all about the experiences that they have already had, the things that they've already lived through. Jafar said it in Aladdin. He said, well, I know I can't kill a genie, but you'll be amazed what you can live through. What you can live through often becomes trauma. What you live through can often be suppressed emotionally, subconsciously, it's pressed way down in the depths of your soul. Your mind will and emotions, they still hold on to that trauma, but you haven't processed it, you haven't thought through it, you haven't haven't let it go, you haven't forgiven it, you haven't gotten over it. You think you've forgotten it, but you really haven't. It's just not in your everyday recall. Let me give you a great illustration of that everyday recall compared to the trauma of the past that maybe you haven't dealt with. There's a thing in the world of fire sciences. Yes, that's what I went to school for after electronics engineering. It's called a duff fire. And a duff fire is when what's on the surface either is put out or it burns itself out. But the heat of the fire has traveled through the layers of foliage or trees or wet grass, and it's gone underground. And sometimes these duff fires, there was one in Colorado that broke through, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, that had been underground, <clears throat> burning in the valleys and the mountains of the Rocky Mountains. They say for close to 90 years. And it would burn through the veins of the foliage and the trees that had gotten stuck in the crevices of the rocks. So fallen trees and fallen limbs and debris and decay that's just kind of filtered down into the crevasses of the rock. Maybe only two or three feet wide, but 50 or 60 feet deep. And so it's still burning in there. It's still smoldering. Just smoldering for years, decades. But the minute somebody takes a walking stick or a pike pole or... A tree falls on it, or the wind blows really hard, and suddenly that little bit of burning ember, that that smoldering coal, catches a new lease of oxygen. All of that trapped heat that now has oxygen begins to burn. And sometimes what seems like a little bitty hole in the ground, you turn out to have 150 acres on fire almost instantly because that new amount of oxygen gives that fire something else to burn besides what it's been smoldering all this time. There's plenty of heat. There's lots of fuel, but it didn't have any oxygen until right now. That's the trauma in the heart of your audience. And your word picture is the oxygen. The trauma in the heart of an audience... Maybe just one audience member, maybe a whole swath of them is being suppressed by life. You just got to move on with things, right? But that word picture, that one scene, that one very detailed picture that you paint with your words may be the oxygen to their death fire that reignites pain and trauma and fear and terror. And if you've ever been through a massively traumatic event, like a house fire, like a life-threatening car accident, <clears throat> like a hold-up at gunpoint, like a rape, or an assault, or a long-term abusive relationship, that trauma is deep-seated. Here's something else that goes along with that. All of the chemicals in your brain, that relationship between the hypothalamus and the hippocampus, all those chemicals begin to be released in the brain again, and because the subconscious mind doesn't know yesterday from today or from five years from now, your body begins to feel and release exactly the same chemicals and hormones, the the cortisol, the adrenaline, the dopamine. All of those things come rushing back in the body, and all of a sudden your body is reacting as if the moment were happening again. And so a word picture can trigger someone to feel in a way that they would have never chosen to feel. They don't want to be re-experiencing that trauma. Now, let me also add one other thing to that. That hippocampus, hippocampus and hypothalamus relationship between the memory and the chemicals in the brain, they're not just negative. They can be positive as well. I had a coaching client one time say, the beginning of their speech started, I'm standing in the shower with the warm water running down my back and I can't tell the difference between the bruises on my body and the bruises on my heart. And I thought that is a phenomenal word picture. Unfortunately, if you share that in mixed company, any man who's ever struggled with an addiction to sexuality or an addiction to pornography is having a chemical rush of dopamine and other things in his body right now as he's picturing you in the shower. And if you don't want to be the subject of his thoughts for the next two weeks, two months, two years, don't give him that image. Don't give him that word picture to play with because he will. You're going to trigger something with those word pictures if you're not careful. And here's the biggest threat. My word picture of my redheaded stepchild and our first encounter and all the encounters that we've had over 30 years that I've been married to her mother... We have a great relationship, or at least I think we do. You'd have to ask her. But all of the word pictures that I've painted, not everybody shares that exact same moment with exactly the same emotion. Maybe they've been in a very similar situation, a very similar relationship. The scene even looked exactly the same, but didn't come out the same to them. The end result was not the same. The chemicals in their body didn't turn out the same. And so where we had joy and laughter and it was a moment of hilarity, they had terror and trauma and it was a moment of tragedy. And see, the word picture alone can take you back to that place. If you're not careful, you paint a picture and someone else goes to a place that you weren't intending. And all of a sudden... That relationship you've been building, that trust that you've been building, the whole purpose for communicating is to build no like, and trust so that you can have a transaction together, whether that's to, biz- to do business or to build a deeper relationship or to go to the next level. All of that vanishes in a moment when you trigger someone emotionally in a way that they are uncomfortable with. Trust me, I've done it more than once. I've done it on occasion when I was intentionally trying not to do it. And sometimes you can trigger someone, not because simply what you said, well, you've got to be very cautious and responsible as a communicator to do that, but you can trigger them because of the way they process information. See, sometimes people look at life on the surface, and it takes them a minute to kind of process what you've said, and maybe an hour later, a day later, a month later, It dawns on them and they're like, oh yeah, that's what you meant by that. Others, they process information not internally but externally. They take what you're hearing and they ask themselves and in light of the books that I've read, the places I've been, the courses I've taken, the relationships that I have with others, is this true or is this not true? And it's a comparative evaluation of the data that you're sharing, of the moments that you've experienced, the things that you felt what you thought, what you learned through that. And they're looking at all the other data and they're saying, is it true, is it not true? Am I keeping it or am I not keeping it? Am I processing it? Does it seem valid in light of all the other history? Others, on the other hand, they only see the world through the the lens of their own experiences. When I had this moment in my life, I felt like this, therefore this is reality and that's all there is to it. Even if they find later that it's true that, their perception of that moment was misunderstood, was mistaken, was taken completely out of context based on other relationships or maturity in the moment. We all make mistakes in the way that we evaluate a moment. We all make mistakes in the way that we anticipate someone else's way of relating to us. And if we don't begin to put those things back in context, what happens is We go through life with a skewed view of why people treat us the way we do. Some people are offended by racism that didn't happen. Some people can only see the world through the lens of racism because that's the way they were raised. And everybody with a skin color other than theirs is evil or wicked or unintelligent or uneducatable or irredeemable. There are people in this world who think that way. I've met them. When their skin tones are identical, you can't tell them apart. Brown skins, black skins, darker skins and lighter skins, white skins. And face to face, they look the same. But because of their political beliefs, their religious beliefs, the tribe they were born into, the zip code they grew up in, the area code of their phone number, their mortal enemies... Not because they know each other, not because they know anything about each other, but because their people can't get along. See, all of these are potential below-the-surface duff fires waiting to be triggered by a word picture that gives oxygen to human emotion. For better or worse, a word picture that releases that can be a problem. I'll give you one more example of a word picture and how easy it is for it to go awry. I was teaching a class, the Story Power Master Class, several years ago. There were about 16 people in the room. That's about as full as that class ever gets because it takes so much time to have individual attention in the class. It's usually better when it's like 8 to 10 people. This particular class, we had 16. And I said, I want to do a little exercise with you around this concept of word picture versus the co-opted anthemy. And in the word picture, I said... I want you to picture the man in the flannel shirt standing silently on the hill. And then I went one by one through the class, and I said, who do you see? And as we went down the row, people would say, well, I see Robert Redford. I see Paul Bunyan. I see a brawny paper towel guy. And as we just went down the list, everybody kind of gave their own opinion of what they saw. When we got to the first guy in the room, he said, "Uh, I see... Larry the Cable Guy, you know, with his sleeves missing. I said, that's interesting. Another guy said, I see uh, Al Borland, you know, from Tim the Tool Man Taylor. I said, another interesting one, because, you know, we've had all these very masculine, very sex symbol kind of guys up to this point. I get to the last person in the room, a middle-aged woman, and she's staring out the window with tears streaming down her face. And I said, who do you see? She said, I see my grandpa. He always wore flannel. Out on the day we buried my grandmother, he was standing on the hill by himself. And I walked up and I said, what are you thinking, Grandpa? And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, she promised I could go first. Now, I got to tell you right there, that's a woman honoring a man she adores. Someone she loved. And if I had, in my own mind, written a story that set that line up to be the beginning of a story or a punchline to a Larry the Cable Guy or a Tim the Tool Man Taylor kind of an impression, I might have said, And the man in the flannel shirt stood silently on the hill. And then he ripped one. <laughs> and while a lot of people who pictured Tim the Toolman Taylor or Al Borland, they might have, might have found that to be absolutely hysterical. And the ones who thought of a man as a sex symbol, a Robert Redford, a Paul Bunyan, a Marlboro man, they might have been offended by that. But the one who thought with honor of her grandfather, she's not just not taken in by the story. She's not just not going to feel the punchline. She's wounded. She's emotionally hurt. That word picture has just given oxygen to a duff fire of emotional pain that you're not going to put out for a while. But see, the ability to master the art of the co-opted enthymeme is the ability to skip the word picture, to not stir people's emotions and trigger them in ways that you're not prepared for because you're not even aware it's going to happen, but instead to paint a picture that has an emotional resonance to it that causes them to paint the picture themselves. Let me say it like this in the last couple of minutes that I have. It's real easy to say, word picture. I came home late at night, parked my car in the driveway. I walked through that old wooden gate, you know, the one that drags on the ground. And you have to lift it up so it doesn't pull all the grass out and doesn't squeak to high heaven and wake up all the neighbors. I closed the gate behind me as quietly as I could. And I stepped over the garbage because it's outside the kitchen door because, you know, tomorrow's garbage day. I make my way into the kitchen, close the door, and just as I step inside the kitchen light comes on and there next to the kitchen island where the the green refrigerator and the old white plastic toaster from the bank sits, my mother stands in her pink bathrobe you know with the one with the elbows worn out and we begin to have this conversation and I realize in that moment that life will never be the same after this conversation is done. Now I've just painted a word picture that a lot of people would look at and go yeah no we we didn't park in the back and come through the wooden privacy fence. Our gate didn't drag on the ground and make all kinds of god-awful noise to wake up the neighbors. And garbage outside the door? Who does that? And see, each one of those places where someone might go, that's not the picture I see. I've never been there. They, they begin to step out of the story and look at it from a different perspective, and they feel like, that's not about me. You're talking about yourself, but you're not talking about me. It's not my story. I'm not in that story. And in that moment, you lose them. And trying to get them back to feel what you felt in that moment is near impossible. Now, the co opted entheme might sound something like this I came home late at night. I was just exhausted. I made my way in the house as quietly as I could. I just wanted to go to bed. I was so wiped out. I was so tired from a long day. And as I made my way into the kitchen and the light came on, there stood my mom. The look in her eye and the tone in her voice told me this conversation, it's going to change everything. In fact, after this conversation, things will never be the same again. Now see, the chances are, if you're paying close attention and you're engaged in the story, that Right now, you don't see my mom in my kitchen, you see your mom in your kitchen. You don't remember the time that I had that conversation with my mom, but you recall the time you had that conversation with your mom. In fact, you might be thinking right now, I need to pick up the phone and call my mom because that conversation truly did change everything. And the opportunity for you to be deeply engaged in the story and reactive to what it is that I'm trying to highlight for you, that's a great opportunity. It's a great learning moment. It's a great chance for you to go on a journey with me into new experiences and new relationships. It's, it's a new level of trust, though. It says, I, I know from here you've got me emotionally, and, and I trust that you're going to take me to a safe place. Listen, if you're a communicator, and you only tell the story through the lens of your own experiences, and you're not concerned with the lenses of anybody else's experiences, or their outside knowledge, or their, or their own research... Chances are at some point you're going to use a word picture and you're going to expect them to see what you saw and to feel what you felt and you'll be wrong. And when you do that, you're going to trigger something in them emotionally that maybe they can't even recover from, which means their trust in you might never recover and your ability to communicate with them further might be done. Be cautious about your word pictures. Because when your word picture becomes a trigger, trust is the victim. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day lauren is a master teacher on storytelling and i learned so much um i'm really gonna have to sit down and go back through everything and i think i might have to have some more coffees with lauren but uh, it was totally worth my time and i really highly recommend it if you're looking to grow your ministry grow your business uh, grow your career uh lauren will serve you well